Welcome to the OT Lifestyle Movement. This is for the occupational therapy visionaries and the ones who see things differently. We're moving our profession forward through living and leading a truly holistic lifestyle. Hey, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the OT Lifestyle Movement. I'm Rhiannon Crisp, occupational therapist, personal trainer, and founder of otlifestylemovement.com. Today, we are talking all about special needs and autism through the holistic lens of a mama and an OT. We're talking with the beautiful, radiant, and soul-driven mama on a mission, Candice Curtis. Candice is an occupational therapist, an outpatient pediatric clinic contractor for school-based services, and the founder of Integrate Family. She is passionate about working with families that have children on the spectrum, focusing on how she can best support parents to understand their child and helping them with what they can do at home and how to implement the activities into their daily lives. Welcome, Candice. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So awesome to have you with us today. Now, what we always start with is hitting the rewind button. So if you can take us back in time in a bit of a time capsule and tell us about your OT journey and how you came to where you are today. Yeah. So basically I first ended up getting my social work degree um, as my undergraduate degree. And I quickly kind of started to realize that a lot of the people that had been doing social work for a while either ended up becoming just very burnt out because of a lot of the hard things that we ended up seeing, or they just became like just very cold. And I just my personality is um, very optimistic and I just really want to care and try to help make a difference for different people. And so the, the other part too is I've always loved my sciences and just problem solving and figuring things out and understanding like how the brain and the body works and all of that. And so as I've learned more about OT, like obviously that was just a really perfect profession for me. And so I obviously ended up going to occupational therapy school down in Arizona. And during the time that I was going to OT school, I started working with a boy that had autism and became just really super close with him and his family. And I also had worked with autistic children when I was working as a social worker. And so kind of those experiences made me just super passionate about working with children with autism. And then my research project really kind of followed that um, when I did a lot more research about just autism and sensory processing and different things. So I finished getting my OT degree and my husband and I moved back up north and we ended up having two boys. And so our oldest son, was um, born and when he was first born he had a really hard time coordinating his breath and so he was starting to turn blue before the nurses were able to start to get him um, breathing and things and so kind of right right after he was born it was very noticeable that he had like low muscle tone and um, he met his developmental milestones technically on time but they were always kind of at the late end range I guess of what would be considered on time um, with everything except for his speech. And so um, 
because I was kind of watching for that. And I was in speech therapy for 10 years when I was younger. And so was my dad. And so was my brother. And so I was really kind of watching for that anyway. And our pediatrician was great and allowed us to get into speech therapy services young. Um, and so then when he was three, he transitioned into speech therapy through school services. And we were very fortunate about that because he's able to get those services, but insurance doesn't pay for us to be able to take him to the clinic. And because both in, my husband and I worked full time, um, to be honest, we would not have been able to get him speech therapy services otherwise. And then of course I was doing occupational therapy things with him at home, which he, he really would have needed. And so I just became so, so thankful that I ended up going to school to be an occupational therapist and could do all of those things with my son. So um, recently in late August, my friend from Arizona that I had worked with, um, her son when I was in graduate school came up to visit and she asked me what I would love to do if I, if I was able to do anything, what would I do? And it kind of surprised me because I hadn't really been thinking about it a whole lot um, but what I said is that I was just really passionate about working with parents that have children with autism and, you know, or sensory processing kinds of things and really helping them like understand their child and really learn what they can do in their everyday life to be able to help their child in, in like a more of a daily routine. So it wasn't so you know, just more things to add into their schedule, like something that was actually doable for parents. Um, because I knew firsthand how hard it was working full-time and my husband working full-time and still wanting to try to help your child. Um, and so that was just something that um, just kind of came out of my mouth. And so as I started thinking about that more and more, um, all these things started happening that really started to kind of tip that more for me. So I ended up um, getting my certification in the air sensory integration test um, or the SIPT and I was doing a lot of testing with my son and it really hit home and was really hard for me because I started realizing with all the testing how many things he really had a hard time with and it started to really be hard for me to recognize that I felt like I was helping everyone else's children more than my own and so that is kind of where I started to kind of think about how I could both be really passionate about helping the families that I'm really passionate about helping and be able to, you know, spend more time with my family as well. So that is really when I started to um, get serious about starting Integrate Family and wanting to educate and empower parents more. Mm. Um, yeah. And so now my kids are 10 and almost 12. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Candice. So when was it that your son was diagnosed with autism? So it's kind of interesting because my doctor and I have actually talked about whether or not um, to di diagnose him. And we actually, he has it in the records, but he hasn't actually listed it as a diagnosis uh, for the simple fact that he wouldn't actually get any more services if he actually was diagnosed. And so we've really looked at it more as just trying to understand my, my son and like really looking at how to help him. 
And the doctor was really great about, you know, if you ever want a diagnosis, um, then let me know and, and he'll write it, you know, actually in the medical records. But if I wasn't an OT, we would have just, it, that wouldn't have been a thing, but, but yeah. I find that really interesting. How, and how do you feel around the diagnosis? Because this is something that comes up a lot for parents, right? And I, I suppose it's interesting for us as OTs to understand it through the lens of a parent, whether to get a diagnosis or whether we don't get the diagnosis. What were your thought processes around that? Yeah, you know, it's something that I've really struggled with and I've really have gone back and forth with because I, what really ultimately what it came down for me is I feel like I have done enough research and have enough background to really understand him so well that I felt like I could then turn around and educate other people ab about him without having to have that diagnosis where he, like other people just might have this specific idea of what he is capable of or not capable of. And so it was kind of just getting out of that, I don't know if to say a stereotype or what, but it really was me being like, I want to explain his strengths and his individual things that are hard without them already having some preconceived notions, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perfect sense. Uh, yeah. Okay. So you took a really holistic approach to helping your son. Can you take us through this? Yeah, I would love to. Um, it really has been huge for us to really change how we do things instead of just trying to add more things into our schedule. And so the way that I've really looked at it is I really have looked at how we can affect the really foundational things for him and really trying our best to address those things. And then like adding on more of the sensory systems and motor skills and kind of all of those levels. And so the pieces that I really see as foundational are basically like his eating, his sleeping, his GI system, and just like really helping to calm down his nervous system. So in terms of eating, we decided to try a gluten-free and dairy-free diet when he was in kindergarten, um, after his teacher just told me that he was having a ton of anxiety and that it was really affecting him in class. And so I... Um, oh gosh, I should also add too that during this time I was struggling with a ton of just fatigue and like struggling to even like just survive my day. And that had really started after I had kids um, and just got that much worse after I had my second son. And so when we decided to do this diet change with my son, he ended up going into these horrible withdrawals and um, covering up his ears and screaming, even though he had never had any auditory sensitivities at all. He like locked himself in the um, spare room that we had, didn't want to come out for a couple of days. And meanwhile, I felt amazing. And so um, as he started coming out of the withdrawals, it really made me realize like how, one, how sensitive my son was to all these things. And like, obviously how much food was really affecting both of us, obviously. And I just remember being in tears and being like, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing to my son? And then it like dawned on me, oh my gosh, like, what have I been doing to my son? Uh, because, you know, obviously he was, 
he was just affected by it so much. And so it was really, really dramatic for my son. And my teacher was amazed, or my son's teacher was amazed at how different of a child he really was after we ended up taking those things out of his diet. And then since then, we've ended up having to do a um, elimination diet. And now he is off of um, gluten and dairy, tomatoes, um, bell peppers, a lot of nightshades kind of things. Um, and then we have very limited sugars that we do. And it, it just has made a huge difference in his ability to just engage with other people and his, he really doesn't even have anxiety anymore at all. Um, and then our pediatrician also ended up doing a lot of different blood tests and, you know, was able to see a lot of vitamin deficiencies that he had and things too. And so we have started doing different vitamins and probiotics. Um, as well, and, and he just always had very chronic constipation. And so those were some of the things that we really did to help with um, just his GI system and, and just how his body was processing things in general. Um, in terms of his sleep and just getting him more in that like rest and digest kind of part of his nervous system, we've done a lot of different kinds of massages in the past, um, but currently we're doing um, rhythmic movements at night and um, at the same time, we listened to a meditation and we started really um, doing those um, because my son was also wetting the bed at night. And so we started to do the rhythmic movements as a part of integrating some of his reflexes and things. And so, um, and th that actually, after we started that, he stopped wetting the bed within two weeks easily and never has since. Um, we do Epsom salt baths several times a week. We use essential oils. We have an air filter in his room. And then um, we use, it's called a dream pad pillow. And so it's just a pillow that he can listen to and we have music set up to it. And it's just through bone conduction. So he's the only one that can hear it, but it's just relaxing music that he listens to while he's sleeping and weighted blanket, um, those types of things in his room. Um, so, then just in general, we do a lot of work on him learning more about his body. And so a lot of like mindfulness and different things like that. And so like I have a file folder and it has the outline of a person. And then um, we basically go through and we do like a body scan. So there's like the brain and all, you know, different terms that your brain might feel like and your jaw, what that might feel like, your breathing, your heart, your muscles, your stomach. And we go through and he can like actually read like the different ideas that are on each body part. And then he can say, oh, like my muscles are feeling really tight right now in my brain. He says that it feels squeezy a lot. Um, and, and that really like when he's stemming and things like that, like he goes to like squeezing objects and different things like that. And so um, it's been a fantastic way for him to really start to be more aware of his body and learning different strategies to just really calm himself down. And now he's gotten just really good at it where if I just walk in the room and, and maybe he's stimming or just pacing and things, and I'll just be like, hi, how are you doing? And he's like, takes a deep breath and he's like, oh, mom, my muscles are just so tight. And I'm like, oh, what should we do about it? And, and so of course we also have visuals of that where um, it's different activities that he's picked out and we'll go to him and he'll be like, oh, I think that I really need to, you know, go jump on the trampoline and, or, you know, chew some gum or whatever it is that he ends up picking. 
And it just has helped him so much on being more aware and giving him that power over helping his body instead of just having his body telling him what to do if he's not feeling well. And so that is just, I think, a huge, huge part and, and just something that I hope always, you know, helps him all the way through his life, I think, too. Mm, absolutely. Um, not passive. He's yeah. active in the process. Yeah. When it's just been so huge in getting him to just tune into his body more. And I don't think that that's ever something that I ever really learned, but I've just had to start learning as part of the process with my son. And it makes such a huge difference, of course, for us just to be more turned, you know, tuned into our own bodies too. So yeah, mm, absolutely. It's, it's been a great journey. And, and some of the modalities and different things that you mentioned just then aren't autism specific, um, you know, and I think it's really important to be open-minded enough to look at non-traditional options. And just because an intervention or a strategy hasn't been proven to be effective in this population specifically, doesn't mean it won't work. So if it causes no harm, if it's reasonably priced, and if there's a chance that it might help, then, you know, you're almost crazy if you don't look into it. You know, simple things like diet that you mentioned, there's so much controversy around that. But I mean, and there's probably a whole lot of different things that parents are doing. And I think parents are the real trailblazers. They are the ones that are finding out things first. And then we go and do the research on it to see whether it, you know, what the, what's going on here. Um, But I really don't think we should be discounting parents lived experiences and what's working for them just because there's no quote unquote hard, fast evidence supporting it. So thank you so much for sharing that personally, because I know, um, you know, this is something that you're sharing from your personal experience, but also through your OT lens in terms of some of the interventions that you're using. I'd love to ask you, how has your son's journey how has it shaped your way of thinking and your way of practicing as an OT? Yeah, well, I, I think for starters, <laughs> like, and I kind of touched on it a little bit, but like growing up, we, it was never thought of, of what we put in our bodies actually affect how we feel. And I know that sounds like so, you know, such common sense, because obviously that's, you know, just our fuel for our bodies. But like my dad's saying was to let the cow eat the grass and then you just need to eat the cow. Like we never, we never ate any vegetables. And so obviously like just seeing, and I, I do think that it's different for every single kid and parents just have to figure out what, you know, works for them, but really seeing how sensitive my son was to that um, just made me, made me realize how many different lifestyle changes we could really make that would really help him. Um, and that's, um, I also just really wanted to really start thinking a lot more about like what kinds of things that my son really enjoyed and in a way that really helped to build his self-confidence. And so really tapping into his interests specifically, and that's made a big difference in just how I think about things. Um, because I really try really hard not to compare my son to other kids, but instead I like really try to embrace the things that my son really loves and like who he really is. And, 
and so like right now he's really super into goosebumps um like the books and different things and so a lot of our play has to do something along the lines of like some goosebump books or like he loves to be creative and so we you know really go around those interests of his and so it's really just made me stop thinking about what kids should be doing and just really embracing who my son is and really um just enjoying that mm. and i have learned to give myself so much more grace like i know every year that i would go to iep meetings either during the iep meeting or um after the IEP meeting at some point, I was just a hot mess and super emotional because I would hear all these things that he really had a hard time with. And it was all these things that I have taken classes on or I've researched or I've learned about and things like that. And I felt like I just was really failing my son by not having more time and energy to really work on those things with him. And so I've just had to give myself a lot of grace and realize that you know, all the things that we do do and, and recognize that there's no way that any one person can, can do it all. And you have to really find that balance. Mm. So, I'm going to, yeah. And, just, go over and this just having way more self-care for myself. What's that? Mm, yeah. So I'm just going to touch over those two points again, because I think they're really important. So the first one was interest. So really finding out what the child's interest is. What is their passion? What do they love doing? What lights them up? we really get an insight into what brings them joy. And when we can do this, it opens the doors to connection. We can connect on a much better level. And if, if we don't have connection, we don't have anything. There's no trust. There's no um, building relationship. And I think that's so important because that is where the gold lies. So thank you for mentioning that. And the other thing was the mother's self-care. So not only are we working with the child, we're also working with the family. And I think this is such an important part of our work with children on the autism spectrum is talking with the parents and coaching the parents and consulting with the parents or the caregivers and finding out what are they struggling with? What are their challenges? And really helping them get to the goals finding out how we can weave the strategies into their everyday life. The last thing they're going to want to do is the homework that you've written out on an A4 piece of paper. You know, it's, it's just not going to happen. So it's really being mindful about where they're currently at, what they have capacity for and how it's actually going to integrate into their life. And, and if it actually is, because if it's not, then we need to reassess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So I want to ask you, I know a big part of your work is supporting parents. So what sort of things can OTs be doing to support and holistically support parents of kids on the spectrum or parents with special needs? What are some things that you do to work with the families? Well, I think that um, one huge thing that you just said and that I had kind of mentioned a little bit too was to, to really not to forget about talking to the parents about their child's strengths and really honing into like what their children's interests and things are as well. During IEP meetings, inside my head, I'm just like screaming, yes, I, I know all of these things are hard for my son, but he's so, so much more than that. And I think that 
parents that have children with autism, they're so used to hearing all of the things that their child has a hard time with that as OTs, we really need to just be recognizing that and make sure that, you know, yes, we talk about the things that we're going to work on, but like we also really talk a lot about like those small wins that the child had when we were working on different things or things that you're noticing that they do really well with or, you know, just their strengths in general. So I think that that is really huge. I also think that just empowering the parent and just building um, them up and giving them, you know, confidence by really asking them a lot of questions and giving them a lot of kudos all along the way for even the smallest little things that they go to do. I think that I am sometimes amazed by how many parents either don't have family and friends that are like super supportive or maybe, you know, family tells them some really negative things like, you know, if, if they had their child, they'd be able to, you know, make sure their child doesn't do this or, you know, they just end up having those feelings that they're not being a very good parent. And I, I really think that as OTs, we really need to be supportive of that with parents and just really making sure that we're really building those parents up. Um, tapping into the child's interest, like you were saying, and really ob observing the child and anticipating what they need to really get into that regulated state, I think is, is huge, of course. Um, sometimes I know that it can be easier to of course go into a session and kind of already have this pre-planned like this is what we need to work on but just the more flexible that you can be of course and really see where that child is at at first you just will end up having such a better session that way um yeah and then just don't forget that you work with children that have a hard time with doing things all the time but like the parents, when they first come in, they very well might not even know what OT is, or they might not really understand what it is. And like, it is all so scary and, and they're worried about their child and, you know, what they're going to be able to do or how school is going to go. And so just really making sure that you're walking through, you know, what the evaluation looks like, what treatment looks like making sure that you answer any of their questions and just explaining things in general um, just makes a huge difference. And I think that we forget about that so often because it's just, yeah, like I said, like something that we do every single day. Um, so I think that is huge. And then just never stop learning. Like there is just so, so much um, to know as an OT and all the new research that's coming out. And so the more that you can just learn and, you know, just get all the information that you possibly can, then that's, you know, more help that you can be to that family and that child. And so just always, always learning. Mm. It's, it's a journey, isn't it? Lifelong learning. There's so much to soak up. Just just when you think you've covered one topic, new information comes out and there's just so many other things that we can be diving into. Um, did you have any other tips before we start to wrap it up for OTs who are working in this area? Um, you know, a lot of it is, is to just taking really good self-care for you um, because OT is just, it's, 
a hard job. Like it's physical, it's emotional, just mentally, it can be really exhausting. And so all of that can be so much. And so really stopping and making sure that you can fill up your cup, so to speak. So you actually have something to then give to, you know, the children that you work with and the families. It just makes such a huge difference. And, you know, we have such a huge responsibility because the time and the, the resources that we can give to children and families, it helps them build skills. And you just never know what kind of a ripple effect that really ends up having for them, like right now in their life and like the ripple effect throughout the whole rest of, of their life. And so just making sure that you're taking care of yourself so you can do your job the best that you can each and every day, I think is, is huge. Mm, and that in itself has a ripple effect, doesn't it? When we're looking after ourselves and doing the things that ensure that we're coming with the most energy, the excitement, living up to our highest potential, that then too has the ripple effect on the people's lives that we work with. Yeah, definitely. Awesome, Candice. Thank you so much for sharing all that information with us. I think it's super helpful for parents and for OTs, obviously, who um, who work in this area but haven't really heard from a parent's perspective these sorts of things because I know there's just so much, I mean, depending on which path you take and what information you were handed when you first get a diagnosis and all these things really depicts where you end up on this journey, right? It's so different for everyone. So thank you so much for sharing with us your journey. And let's head to the rapid fire questions. I'd love to hear your responses on these ones. So number one, in one sentence, how do you describe OT? I always think this is a hard one, but I would say that it's a helping profession that is really an amazing mix between science and really an art form and just creating meaning and purpose by building skills in, in an individual's life that's specifically important to them. Love it. Number two, what's one healthy lifestyle habit listeners can implement today? Yeah. So one thing that I heard that I really love is to make a joy list. And so basically just making a list of all the things that bring you joy. So it could be like super small things like, you know, having tea out of your favorite mug or, you know, the really super soft blanket that you have that you love to cuddle up with, or, you know, reading a book to your, to your kids at night, whatever those little things of joy are, and then making sure that you end up you know, putting them into your day and actually scheduling joy into your day. And I think that this is just huge because when you start with more of a mind frame of just gratitude and joyfulness, I just think that it starts to become so much easier to then do a lot of other things that are really helpful during your day and all of those other self-care and healthy lifestyle choices. Mm. So yeah, I would say make a joy list. Love it. Love it. Number three, if you could only offer one piece of advice to OTs, what would it be? I would say um, to just be humble and um, not to think of yourself as the expert, that the parents really are the expert on their child. They spend more time with their child more than anyone else. And to instead really think of yourself as the guide that is really there to help the parent and the child meet the goals 
um, that are really important to them and really get them uh, to kind of the end goal and just empowering the parent um, to do that. Because ultimately what we want is for the parent to be empowered and to have the best connection with their child. And yeah, just to make sure that you tell the parent your role from the very start so they kind of always know what to expect and they can start to feel more comfortable and supported that way. Mm, love it. Such a great point. How can everyone find you? Where, where's the best place to get in contact and connect with you? Yeah, I have an Instagram account um, and my handle is at Integrate Family and a website um, www.integratefamily.com and a Facebook group called Autism Moms Prevail. And then I'll be starting a podcast podcast um, very soon called the Parent and Sensory or the Autism and Sensory Parenting Podcast as well. Awesome. Well, there's lots of places to connect with you and soak up more of your wisdom. So go check it out. Thank you so much for joining us today, Candice. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much for having me. That's it, guys. I hope this episode resonated with you. But more importantly, I hope that it inspires you to take action. If you haven't already, come over and join our Facebook group family where we connect and collaborate. You can find us really easy just by searching the OT Lifestyle Movement in Facebook. If you did love this episode, I'd be super grateful if you shared it. You can take a screenshot right now and share it on Instagram or on Facebook so we can connect with more amazing, like-minded, open-minded OTs. The more we share the OT lifestyle movement, the more we can create a ripple effect. And if you do love the podcast, please head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review so we can be found more easily. That's it. Go out, create the epic change that you seek in the world because the world is ready for you. Carpe diem, guys.